Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Fortress of Ineptitude, the new show within a show here on the Pony Express, the flagship show of the Post Rider Podcast Network. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Post Rider Editor-in-Chief Michael Levito, and I'm joined by Post Rider Contributor Lewis Ryan. Hey, it's Lewis Ryan here, your host within a host. Yes. <laughs> We're How are you all, doing, Mike? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. Great to be here today. Yeah, it sure is. Um, so in our first episode, as, as a refresher, you know, this is the um, show where we're talking about, well, I think we've decided like the forgotten comic book movies of the past, right? Um, sort of movies that aren't so good or are kind of underseen, um, but that still, I think, have a lot to say about the genre, a lot to say about culture at large. Are therefore interesting to return for that too for that reason, um, and so in our first episode we watched Superman Returns, which is you know this this huge blockbuster um, that did quite well at the box office um, that we we both talked about. And we think it's like important and kind of signals the end of an era. And this week we watched a movie that um, was intended to be a blockbuster at the very least. Um, Definitely a movie you could pick up at Blockbuster. Yes, certainly. Um, and represents, I think, something about a era, but we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more, I think, as we go along. Um, that movie is Daredevil, uh, the 2003 adaptation of the Marvel comic book character directed by Mark Stephen Johnson, written by Mark Stephen Johnson, and starring Ben Affleck at the titular Daredevil. And uh, a lot of other people famous in that era. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the cast a little bit later. But uh, as we start our Superman Returns discussion, um, I'll ask you, Lewis, what, what is your prior relationship like with the character of Daredevil? Ooh, well, that's interesting, Mike. I don't really have too much of a big interest in Daredevil. I've only read a, a few scant Daredevil appearances. I read uh, Daredevil Born Again by Frank Miller. Uh, which is a famous arc that he wrote um, in like the Daredevil in the two hundreds somewhere about in Daredevil, which is a great story, uh, fantastic, um, and I've read a handful of other Daredevils. Actually, today for this, I, I read a, a couple Stan Lee Daredevil mm. issues, and I read a, another couple uh, Daredevil issues with Frank Miller, where guest starring the Punisher, but uh. I haven't really uh, dug too deeply into Daredevil. I, I would say, actually, if you asked me, if you pressed me, like, what my favorite Daredevil story is, I would have probably said the uh, the uh, two issues uh, in the Fantastic Four, where Daredevil leads the uh, recently depowered Fantastic Four to reclaim the Baxter building from Doctor Doom, who basically, like, squatted while the Fantastic Four <laughs> were outside. And uh, it's it's... Stanley called it a blind man shall lead them. So it's Daredevil leading the Fantastic Four into the building and then they fight Doctor Doom and then the thing famously like crushes Doctor Doom's hands. <laughs> but um yeah, I know I know definitely know about Daredevil. I know that he was famously like a character introduced that didn't really catch on until Frank Miller kind of put his definitive stamp on it in the early 80s and that's kind of been a, the take that like subsequent writers have used, and I know Daredevil has been blessed with many uh, great writers. Basically, almost everyone since Frank Miller, they've had mm -hmm. like a great title like Anne Nascenti, 
uh, Ed Brubaker, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, Mark Wade, um, Charles Soule's recent run I heard was very good. So he's he's a character who's definitely always had like great runs in the comics, but he's like always sort of like treading that line between like. He's never like quite the headliner that like Spider-Man or the Fantastic Four or the Hulk is. So like I think he sort of has like this underdog quality um, about him. But uh, I, I I do uh, I appreciate the character. I would say more than I like him. So that's my relationship with Daredevil. Yeah, I I mean I think my earliest memories of Daredevil's literally I had a cousin who had a Daredevil action figure and I had no idea who he was. And then I kind of got familiar with him as like a peripheral Spider-Man character, right? I feel like there was, there are, like, especially in the Spider-Man animated series from the 90s, he was used as like a, a guest star basically a couple of times. Um, when I first started getting really into comics and I was reading Ultimate Spider-Man, Daredevil was a character who would show up a lot as kind of like, but just as like one of the quote-unquote Marvel Knights along with like um, Shang-Chi and Iron Fist and um sort of the quote-unquote street level characters um and then i actually got more into daredevil i always found like the the concept of daredevil interesting i found sort of like the um sort of more in like noir and in some ways kind of like exploitation movie or like really kung fu movie elements of him kind of interesting as well um you and i in college uh, watched a lot of the Daredevil Netflix series. Um, and after that, I actually got more into it. I read Brian Michael Bendis' entire run um, of Daredevil, which is more or less, uh, which predated this film. And it was actually like, it ran alongside it for a little bit. And actually the, um, because of that, the, like the bullseye scar that bullseye has in this movie is introduced in the comics to, because of that in the Bendis run. And I really enjoyed that. It's one of my favorite runs of comic books ever. Um, the art of Alec, Alec, excuse me, Alex Maleev is also incredible. And I kind of, I'm kind of slowly trying to get my way through uh, the Frank, the Frank Miller run as well, which is obviously considered, you know, what what brought the character to the forefront and really um, made him important, made him matter. Um, so yeah, um, that's my relationship with the the character of Daredevil. Um, did you have any relationship with this movie? Like, had you ever... I don't think... I, I had never seen it before. Um, had you? No. I had absolutely zero relationship with this movie. I definitely knew of it. Mm-hmm. And I think I... You know, I definitely saw, like, the, the poster image, like, the DVD cover or whatever. I had seen it before. I don't recall ever seeing any trailers in, like, a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And... The only I there, there's no like no vestige of this movie I believe in any popular culture I've seen except <laughs> except there's one robot chicken sketch, which parodies the uh, flaming D's in the subway scene. Mm. Um, I can't remember what the joke of this sketch is, but I remember. I, I guess it's just like the joke of like Daredevil elaborately setting it up. Mm-hmm. I think was the joke of the robot chicken sketch, but that's the only thing I I knew about this movie going into it. Yeah, well. Um... Yeah, I, I remember it coming out, and I think it 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 snuck up on a lot of people, I think. I mean, this was in the era when the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies and the Bryan Singer X-Men movies were, were, were doing big business. Um, superhero movies were kind of exciting again. And I feel like this really came out under the radar a little bit. It blindsided everybody. Yes, it did. Um, 
do do you have a guess as to how much money it made a how much money it made about at the box office and b where it placed for the year of 2003 overall i know it wasn't in the top 10 because mm-hmm. i looked that up i know it came out the same year as x2 which did you know more gangbusters than this mm-hmm. um is it in the top 30 it is okay um is, did it make the top 20 it did not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> did you want me to keep guessing? No, it's, it's number 26. What was the film that uh, is 25? Number 25 is Daddy Daycare. Oh. Yes. <laughs> uh, Daredevil made $102,543,518. That's how much it grossed. And... Daddy Daycare made about, let's say, a million and a half more than that. Um, so yeah, not not a movie with a huge cultural footprint. Um, there was one other Marvel movie that outperformed it. That would be Ang Lee's Hulk movie, which was number 14. Made about $132 million as well. Um, of course, 2003. The top five, just to give the listeners some perspective. X, X2 was number six. Um, number five, Bruce Almighty. Number four, Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Number three, The Matrix Reloaded. Um, number two, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Crystal Black Pearl. And number one, Finding Nemo. Um, and into into that mess. Not mess. So it, much variety yeah. back then. It, it really, it is, is it, it is. I mean, it's like, when's the next time an, an Oscar Best Picture winner is going to be the fourth most profitable movie at the box office? <laughs> um and and or even just like a, a studio comedy be in the top five right yeah um anyway uh so that's a little bit about the character in the movie why why do you, so i'm the one who picked this movie you picked superman returns i'm the one who picked daredevil why do you think daredevil is if you think it's worth talking about why do you think it's worth talking about why do you think i picked it why why do i think you picked it or like you know, we we asked the question, why Superman returns? Why Daredevil? Well, I think again, this is a, a very forgotten superhero movie, mm-hmm. and like it had, it like, uh, made no impact on yeah. the general public. It made much less money than Superman Returns. There was no sequel. Well, uh, I mean, there was kind of a follow up uh, with a. Uh, the character of Elektra. Mm-hmm. So that's something, I guess, over Superman Returns. But, um, but like, literally, like, there's no no impact. Like, even Superman Returns, like, that was, like, parodied mm-hmm. and stuff in pop culture, like the bullet going into the eye mm-hmm. in, um, epic movie? Date movie, I think? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, listeners, write in. Which, which of yes. the Zucker Brothers, or not Zucker Brothers, which one of the Seltzer and Friedberg movies was the uh, bullet in the eye scene parodied in? But, like, that was, like, and it's, like, it was building off the legacy of the uh, Christopher Reeve movies, so that had a lot going for it. But Daredevil, it just, like, it was, like, a fart in the wind. It made, mm-hmm. like, no impact. There's been no follow-up. Like, even, like, it's honestly, like, uh ben affleck's role as batman 10 plus years later has made more of an impact where it's like i remember the casting came out of ben affleck as daredevil and or no ben affleck as batman rather sorry and people were like uh, daredevil daredevil but 
Now, I feel like it's the reverse. Like, people, like, have to remember that he was Daredevil originally before he was Batman, you know? I would agree. Um, yeah, I would agree. And I, I think he I think he likes it that way. I mean, he, he has said how he does not like this movie <laughs> and how it kind of, like, kept him from wanting to make a superhero movie for a while. The reason I picked it is because the thing about Superman Returns is that you're right. Like, so obviously it, it, it did make a lot of money. You know, it had some cultural footprint, even just like the fact that it was kind of a failure, creatively at least, I think made it memorable for a lot of people. Um, but, the th- but the thing about Superman Returns is that like Superman Returns is a it is a superhero movie, right? Like it is it is classicist in the way it's presented, right? It tries to evoke this kind of golden age of Hollywood production design. You can tell that Brian Singer cares deeply about this character about sort of the genre of superheroes, about the comic books, right? For, for all of its flaws, you know, it, it is trying to be like a classic superhero movie. Daredevil, on the other hand, feels like it is trying to be like any sort of generic early 2000s action movie, but with like the brand name of Marvel attached to it, right? Like this movie is trying to be like cool, and I do not think it is necessarily marketed at comic book fans. Um... It is trying to be like uh, the Matrix, but superheroes in a way, um, and which is something that I don't think superhero movies really have to do anymore, right? Like the MCU is a brand name in and of itself. You do not have to convince people that the new Captain America movie is saving Private Ryan, but with superheroes. You can just say it's the new Captain America movie, and people will go see it. Um, and so this idea of kind of having to leech off of another genre. Or, or attract someone who might be reticent about going to a superhero movie is, I think, a strategy that is is no longer um, pursued by a lot of studios just because they really don't have to do it. Um, you know, they don't worry about being cool because they're popular already. Whereas Daredevil, in its production design, I think in its casting choices, and in its soundtrack, which we will talk about a lot... Um, is trying desperately to sort of, like, be cool. Um, and like I said, that's just not something that you see a lot of movies try to do anymore. Yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of agree. Like, this was made in the era where they were still trying to, like, eschew any of the comic book goofiness. Mm-hmm. Like, where you would have um, Julian McMahon. A couple years later, he plays Victor Von Doom, but he's just basically like a guy in a suit. Yeah. Well, until the end of the movie, I guess. But, like, mm-hmm. it, it's still just, like, look, it's it's bullseye. And it's just, like, a guy in a jacket. Yeah, a lot, 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 of, lot of black leather in this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. To me, this film, I don't know how to compare it exactly to Superman Returns. Because I want to just say it's, like, a very watchable movie in the way that it's, like inoffensive yeah because uh i don't know i mean did you did you enjoy this movie did you see it before i had not this is my first time and i i found it it's not a good movie but i found it entertaining in its badness right i feel like there are there were moments that like made me laugh out loud that were not supposed to make me laugh out loud um but it was entertaining because of that and i even think just the idea of like 
being able to look back at how much things have changed in the nearly like 20 years since this movie has come out was like interesting in and of itself. Like I actually do think this is a movie people should watch if only for it being a cultural artifact of its time. Yeah, it's interesting to compare this movie, I would think, to like probably like the first couple episodes of the Netflix Daredevil show. Because a lot of it, to me, this doesn't really feel so much like a movie. No, not like, at all. <laughs> well, it doesn't feel like a movie in the way that it's not really like satisfying as yeah. a two-hour unit with a beginning and end. Mm-hmm. It's just, it feels like the pilot episode of like a Daredevil TV show. Yeah. Which uh, tells you how much the production values have aged over the last 20 right. years. Yeah. Yes, uh, it, it certainly does. Um, all right, so let, let's talk about the cast a little bit. So we mentioned Ben Affleck as Daredevil. And, you know, Brandon Routh obviously had to inherit sort of like this this mantle of Superman. There's a lot of expectation that comes with that. Uh, Matt Murdock, Daredevil, certainly a character I would say the general populace is not that familiar with. Um, so Ben Affleck was working with a little bit more of a blank slate. Um, and blank slate is maybe the best way to uh, describe his acting in this movie. Lewis, what did you think of Ben Affleck? Uh, well, I mean, they, that's kind of a harsh way to ask me that. <laughs> I think Ben Affleck was uh, good at certain points and other points he was not good. Mm-hmm. so um yeah i mean like like you said the character of matt murdoch slash daredevil is kind of a big like unknown among the general populace he's not as much like uh it's like oh i know how superman or clark kent would be in this situation that kind of thing mm-hmm. so you can really like make it your own um and there the, what i like about uh ben affleck in the in the moments i like is that he he's basically playing ben affleck mm-hmm. as just like a charming amiable guy you know who's like going around talking to women you know he he hasn't gotten a care in the world it's a bit kind of like a, a more smarmier peter parker i would say like peter parker meets mm-hmm. uh let's say george clooney or maybe a ben affleck and um that that's what i like at other points he is very like uh robotic and I, I, I think he was better keeping, like, the darkened sunglasses on. Because when he takes it off, he kind of looks like he's playing... He has, like, the darkened contact lenses to play it blind. But it's like, I think he's, like, doing this weird cross-eye thing with his eyes mm-hmm. that looks very comical and, like, takes you out of the movie. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I was maybe a little bit harsh to him when I called him a blank slate, but... Um... Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I I think you're right. Like he he is, um, it's it's just a little hard to take him seriously. I think in the scenes where he doesn't have a mask on or his glasses on, he's just not very good at, at selling them. Um, but it is one thing that I think actually stands out about this movie is that he's in his mask so often, which I actually feel like you don't see as much in some superhero movies because they they, they want that they want the actor's face to be, to be present um on the screen um but yeah to your point about peter parker i mean i feel like this this does try to um replicate some of the uh i guess it tries to replicate the spider-man framing device a little bit in that it opens with a monologue or you know there's there's a voiceover at the beginning and the end of the movie um it, it does start in Mandy Arrest, though, which is, I guess, kind of a little different than Spider-Man. Um, 
but yeah, I, I think you know he, but yeah, he 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 is portrayed by I think as as a little bit more like troubled in a way, um, and kind of like more of a uh, kind of seething, like angry, like he 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 just really really wants justice, and the idea is that like if he can't get justice in the courtroom, well he's gonna go out and get it in in the streets, right? Um, and I don't think the writing does him a lot of favors with some of the stuff he has to say. Um, but that kind of like seething nature, I actually think that works for him. And I think that's, that's something he did well in his portrayal of Batman as well. Whatever you think about that version of the character, I think it's something he was able to make work. Do you think, I mean, you've read more of the Daredevil comics than I do. Do you think he portrays that character well, or is he doing like his own thing? I I think Daredevil has a little bit more of a sense of humor. He he's certainly not Spider-Man in that in that regard, but he's got a little bit more of a sense of humor um than Ben Affleck's does. And I I always just think of of him like Ben Affleck was fairly young when this came out, I want to say. Um he was 29 or really he was like 31 when it came out. I I just always think of Daredevil as like I'll be a little bit older because that's kind of how he's portrayed in the Ultimate Spider-Man. He's like the experienced superhero who's actually trying to discourage Spider-Man from being Spider-Man in certain uh, stories. Um, so him being so young took me out of it a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it was not, I did not think it was like this sort of like massive departure from the character too, too much. Is there another actor, say from like the time this movie came out, that you think would have been better? You know, that's an excellent question, and I don't know that I have a very good answer for you. <laughs> um, well, uh, what do you think of Charlie Cox then? I like Charlie Cox. I think Cox is able to balance the um, kind of sternness with with the sort of like I'm just a guy from Hell's Kitchen energy. You know, he's, I don't know that he's the most exciting actor in the world, but but I think he's able to sort of balance, like I said, the weight and the levity a little bit more. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, who would be a good, um, like, a guy. I'm, I'm now looking at the box office list just to see if, like, I recognize a name that would work. Um, <laughs> Vigo Mortensen? <laughs> he might be a little too intense, honestly. <laughs> um... It's tough because he he has kind of like uh, like red hair in the comics, so there are, there really aren't that many red headed leading men that I can think of off the top of my head who aren't like Don Gleason. Yeah, right. Um, I'll think about that as as, as we go through um, because we, we've got some other roles to talk about. Uh, we have um, well, you mentioned portrayal in the comics. I think one portrayal that uh, is, is certainly um, deviates from the comics a bit is Jennifer Garner as Electra Nachios, um, Daredevil's love interest and brief adversary in this film. You know, in, in the comics, very dark, intense, brooding. Um, whereas in uh, this this film, I mean, she, she's got a, a darkness to her. I mean, it's implied that she watched her mother be like killed in front of her, even though they never really unpack what exactly happened. Um, but she's definitely cast, I feel like more as a romantic lead than as a sort of, uh, as an assassin, which is what she is in, um, the comics. Yeah. Jennifer, I just don't buy Jennifer Garner. She seems like too nice. Mm -hmm. Like that, um, it basically is like, you should have just made this like a 
new character. Yeah. That kind of has Electra like elements towards the end, but I I just didn't buy it. And also, I think on the Netflix show too, they like did Electra wrong or dirty there as well by make didn't they make her like a magical thing like a cosmic puzzle piece for like the hand yeah she she definitely feels like more of a plot device than a fully fleshed out character um she shows up messes things up for matt and then yeah she's used yeah they they, they the, the hand like they when they revive her they turn her into something as more of like a like a tool basically yeah it's just um i i just didn't care for her portrayal of the character and it's and it's weird that um that they ben affleck and jennifer garner like dated and ended up getting married because i i didn't feel like a lot of chemistry was there (laughs) no i i didn't either i mean they have these these pretty like like their sort of like romance and flirtation is like a key part in the plot right we talked a lot about uh it is the plot yeah yeah there is no plot in this movie yes yes to the extent that there's a plot it's that um which again just like something that's very different from today's uh comic book movies um yeah it's a uh they well i i like the initial moment of like Mm -hmm. matt murdoch bumping into electra at the coffee table right yeah like i like that because that was like ben affleck getting to show off like his uh uh charm you know Mm -hmm. uh excellently seducing woman despite yeah. the fact that you're a blind man but then right. there's this weird scene afterwards where they go to a playground right and they get into like it's almost like wire foo out <laughs> of crouching tiger hidden dragon yes they, they have like a little sparring match in front of a bunch of kids which is i've never seen the phone movie and i'm sure we'll watch it at some point for this show but it reminds me of like the Catwoman basketball scene. Are are you familiar with this? Yes, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. It, it felt like it was just Daredevil's version of that, where they 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 jump onto like the the seesaw at some point, and um, you know, she she has some questions about why this why this guy who can't see is such a deft um, sparring partner. Um, well, it's like they should both be asking each other questions, right, yeah. but then they don't. Because she's like wearing high heels too, which she also wears when she goes to kill Daredevil, which is a you know. I think just just kind of a thing that happens with superhero costume <laughs> design. Excuse me, um, but yeah, I I, I also want by her. and when, when she when she has to go dark towards the end. I mean, first of all, it's a thing that happens like with a flick of, flip of what, what you know the flip of a coin, the flipping flick of a switch. Yes, uh, I don't know what metaphor I was trying to say there, but um, you know, it's like her her father dies, and all of a sudden she becomes this vengeful. Um, you know, master assassin who's out to kill Daredevil and get her revenge. Um, after being this, their very kind of like sweet, um, flirtatious figure beforehand. So yeah, um, it's interesting because we were talking about you know who should should have played Daredevil instead of Ben Affleck, but um, apparently people who who they were considering for Electra. I'm reading just now: Penelope Cruz, Selma Hayek, Natalie Portman, Lucy Liu, Jessica Alba, Katie Holmes. As well as Jolene Blaylock, Mia Maestro, and Rona Mitra. I've never heard of any of those people. But Rona Mitra is uh, in Boston Legal. <laughs> See, I've seen one episode of Boston Legal in my life. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I feel like Natalie Portman. Well, I don't know. She wasn't very good in Thor: Love and Thunder. Um, I, th- I want to say Lucy Liu, but I know because I'm thinking of Michelle Yeoh. But I, right, I don't think yeah. Lucy Liu is as good. But she was in X Two, wasn't she? 
No, that, that's that's Kelly Hugh. Okay. Yeah, she plays Lady Deathstrike. Um, I mean, I feel like also it's like just, I mean, Jennifer Garner, I don't think looks like Electra at all. Um, I think you need somebody with a, I mean, due to someone who looks more Greek. So I think like Jessica Alba and Natalie Portman probably look a bit more Greek than... Uh, yeah, you need to get Nia Vardolos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. <laughs> get her um, in. Definitely. I mean, Gal Gadot, I think, would actually be a pretty good Yeah, Electra. yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, so we have her. We have Kingpin, sort of, I, I guess you he's the, the main villain of this movie. Uh, played by Michael Clark Duncan. Obviously a departure from the comic book character who, who's white. Michael Clark Duncan, of course, is black. Um, what do you think of Michael Clark Duncan? I was honestly kind of let down by Michael Clark Duncan because that's like, if there was any legacy to this movie, it was that Michael Clark Duncan played the Kingpin. So, like, I had heard that Michael Clark Duncan had done a pretty good job at playing the Kingpin. And so I was, like, excited to see. Because, like, the Kingpin is, like, I like... I kind of really like the Kingpin more than I like Daredevil. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really read that much of the Kingpin either, but I really like this, like, big, imposing, like, mob mob boss guy like this really fat sydney green street character right yeah and i like vincent d'onofrio in the netflix show get me don't get me wrong mm -hmm. but like i do kind of want to see like it's like <laughs> he's so fat but it's actually like all muscle and he can like take on spider-man in a fight like i do want to see that kind of version of the kingpin at some point but regardless um uh michael clark duncan was i was very let down because he doesn't really get to do a whole lot in this movie. And visually, I think he is fine as the Kingpin. Like, I don't have a big problem with that. He's not overly, you know, fat and that he's, you know, black instead of a, a white man. But um, I was just let down that there wasn't, wasn't more of him in this movie. And that I think the film is really lacking, like, a strong antagonist. Mm -hmm. Do you agree? Oh, I would agree completely because another thing I was going to bring up and we could talk about now is like, what does the Kingpin do? Like, what is the nature of his criminal enterprise? Right? Like, they never explain it. And they also don't, they don't like build up to the idea of like a Kingpin at all. It's like, mm -hmm. the first time we hear him, it's like Matt's just talking to Foggy on the New York uh, court steps and it's just like, oh, he works for the Kingpin. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't know the character from the comics or anything, it'd be like, oh, is this guy important? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it's... And I agree. He, he Michael Clark Duncan just does not get a whole lot to do in this movie. And he, he's, he's just playing it very... Um, you know, I feel like he, he has it all, like, the dial set all the way up to 10 in all the scenes, right? There's, there's very little subtlety in his um, portrayal of the kingpin he's always this kind of like smirking kind of imposing very evil guy i mean he, he's also like he's not fat but he is like huge right like he's like muscles on muscles in this movie um so yeah and then we have uh colin farrell as as bullseye this this very reimagined version of, of bullseye um wh what what do we think of of this um so this portrayal of bullseye is very um over the top i would say yes it's very entertaining to watch mm -hmm. i kind of 
didn't understand him on two levels one his thick irish accent right yeah and also like his role in like the plot of the movie he's just like basically a guy hired to kill people but it's i don't know you never really get sucked into like this really strong narrative with this film Mm -hmm. so i mean like i guess i enjoyed his portrayal i mean i guess his powers are cool but it's like i don't know it was both like interesting but also like kind of a tonal flat line yeah i i agree um it yeah he 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 is not a he's not really a character right he's just kind of a uh like 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 a like a he's just a hitman that the kingpin gets from i guess he's supposed to be in the uk when they introduce him and he like they show him winning like a game of darts and the guy calls him like a like an irish piece of trash or something so he then throws a bunch of paper clips in his neck and kills him um he's almost played for comic relief in a lot of scenes or certainly in his early scenes right um when, when he kills the woman by bouncing the peanut into her her throat on the plane um and even just like his like when when he does kill nick nachios and like his whole thing where he just goes bullseye eh? Eh? and he's just kind of like pointing at it like get it this is why i'm called the bullseye because i because i throw things at people and always hits them and yeah entertaining in a lot of ways but also just not not just not a character really and does not feel like he builds up the necessary the the necessary sort of contempt for Daredevil that, that you need Bullseye to have. Yeah, he doesn't really develop a relationship with any of the other characters. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't really have many scenes with Kingpin or Elektra or Daredevil, so it's like very hard to emotionally connect. Yeah, I I would certainly agree. Um all right, so we've got, I mean, some other minor characters. I mean, we, we have John Favreau as Foggy Nelson. Um, you know, he, he's just kind of playing John Favreau, I would say, and I, I like watching John Favreau be John Favreau. Did, did you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, well, building off that, it's like this movie basically exists to be like fun footnotes for things that would happen later. Right. Like, <laughs> like you're saying, Ben Affleck is Batman. Mm-hmm. John Favreau, obviously, you know, would direct, you know, the Iron Man, the film that kickstarted the... Uh, mcu and he would play happy hogan mm-hmm. obviously kind of like the foggy nelson to iron man true um and uh, and another name that appears in the credits is a, a young whippersnapper named kevin feige yes who's the executive producer so like this film only exists to basically uh, you know give these people a, a little boost in their careers before they would do more important superhero things later on um, so no, I didn't. I didn't really have an opinion. He doesn't really have an. Uh, I think all of his scenes are with Matt Murdock, but like you don't really connect with the character of Foggy Nelson at all. Like there's one scene with even a Karen Page played by. Oh gosh. Ellen Pompeo. Yeah, who who would play Meredith Grey mm-hmm. in every episode of Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> yeah. And uh, she she's got nothing to do yeah um yeah she's, she's almost treated as kind of like a like well it's just funny too right because they, they they treat matt murdoch as this like uber moral like upstanding guy he only wants to represent represent clients who are innocent 
Um, and he hates the kingpin, even though he doesn't know what he does. He doesn't even know he's the kingpin initially, right? He just knows Wilson Fisk is bad. Um, he and and he, he resents all of this stuff. Whereas like Happy, not Happy, excuse me, Foggy is you know he he wants clients that pay, and that means even getting Wilson Fisk as a client. And then Karen is also, I mean, she's in like literally one scene where she gives Ben his invitation to the black and white ball that comes from Electra. And I feel like she's kind of portrayed as like a, like she's clearly like implying she wants to go to the ball, right? Like there's kind of like a uh, neediness there, I guess. And she's not really cast as this sort of like tragic love interest for Daredevil that she is in the comics. Yeah, well, I'm assuming she's writ- supposed to be written the same way that Karen Page is written in the, um, written in, like, the Stan Lee days, mm-hmm. where she's just immediately in love with Matt Murdock, and, it, <laughs> like, they, they barely talk to each other, and Karen Page is already like, oh, I wish you would just ask me to marry him, I would accept on the spot, <laughs> but, like, that, that doesn't really come across so much, because I think she might only be in one shot of the movie. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong, but like she's definitely only in like one scene. Yeah, but she she could basically be cut out of the movie entirely. Exactly. Um, and then we also have, um, I think, a favorite character or, or favorite actor of both of ours. We have Joe pa- Pantal Joe Pantoliano, excuse me. As Italian American, I should really pronounce that better. Joey Pants for short, playing uh, Ben Urich, the. Well, in the comics, he's a Daily Bugle reporter. In this movie, he is a New York Post reporter. Um, any thoughts on Joey Pants in this movie? I like the, uh, like, kind of, the like, half the casting energy of this movie, where mm. a lot of the... So you have, like, those four characters we talked about of Daredevil, Elektra, mm. uh, the Kingpin, and Bullseye. And then, like, for all the other side characters, they all have a really, like authentic like new york italian mm-hmm. you know schlubby sort of vibe like from the sopranos and obviously joe pantaleono was mm-hmm. on the sopranos so like they bring a lot of like that energy um in the casting and you know joe pantaleono is no exception it feels like more authentically new york yeah um so that's that's what i would say i i don't know if they it 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 also is he doesn't really serve that much of a purpose in the movie. Right? I no. mean, he's just there. Yeah, he's just there to... I mean, he's there, I think, uses, like, a little bit of exposition, I guess. Where he's kind of, like... I mean, he's, I guess, kind of the way Daredevil knows that the Kingpin is something, because he's writing the articles about the Kingpin. And um, he puts together there that Daredevil is Matt Murdock, and he tells him that... In this line that literally made me laugh, he goes, they say the kingpin doesn't just kill you, he kills your whole family. <laughs> Which it's like, no, that's not what they say, that's literally what the kingpin does. Like, that's literally what he's trying to do. Um, and he tells Matt that, and that causes Matt to go and try and save Electra and all this. Um, so yeah, but yeah, he, he doesn't have a lot to do. And he also, like, talking about, like, characters and, like, how they're portraying the comics, like, I feel like this Ben Yurik is very different than the comic book Ben Yurik, who I think is a little bit more of like a nerd. Whereas like this Ben Yurik is, is, you know, Joe Pantoliano is, I think, like a naturally kind of like cool in like a very sort of like Juilliardy way. Um, and it, it, I feel like they didn't even like put him in wardrobe. He just kind of came in what, what he usually wears. Yeah, it's very, uh, very gritty. Yeah. And um, 
I do think you lose a little something when it's like he's uh, not working for the Daily Bugle. Right. And I, I don't know if J. Jonah Jameson would fit in with this movie, but it is like, it, it does lose a little, like it just serves like how, how kind of pointless his role is in the movie. Exactly. Yeah. When he, he doesn't interact with any other reporters or anything, there's no scene of him in the office and the guy's like, what are you following this daredevil for? You know, he doesn't exist. And he's like, no, no, I'm telling you, he exists. Give me, give me 24 hours. I'll get you a scoop something yeah it really does feel like i mean like I, I do feel like in some ways this daredevil is amalgamation of like a bunch of different movies because that plot point feels a little bit like um doesn't it's been a while actually since i've seen it but doesn't like vicky vale isn't she on like a similar quest in like the 1989 batman yeah she she's trying to you know she's a reporter and you have robert wall as um knox the editor and he's trying you know he's, he's providing like what i said before like they talk about batman like they mm-hmm. have scenes where they convey information but also you know there's conflict yeah that makes scenes that are interesting to watch mm-hmm. um as opposed to i'm a character that's gonna go from a to b right yeah um yeah so so it definitely felt borrowed but like you said done worse i felt the same way in like a lot of like the suiting up scenes that actually remind me of like the joel schumacher batman movies um but i think played for less uh comedic effect there there are no rubber the, n- n- yeah. nipples in this movie but go on the the banquet scene where they sh- the ball scene where they show up in tuxes that reminded me of uh, batman forever because mm-hmm. they go similarly to like a charity gala and i was like wondering is like poison ivy gonna come out right yeah <laughs> exactly oh we know that's batman and robin yes Sorry. that is batman and robin and she dances she does her weird gorilla striptease um to the song poison ivy um right which uh sorry and and i think the whole film they reminded me a lot of like the sam raimi spider-man movies Mm -hmm. but there was just like a lot less story going on right to connect like it felt like this was only like a year apart Mm -hmm. but it felt like very similar to um sam raimi so it, it is feels like a sam raimi movie without like the sam raimi editing you know and style and pacing yeah and and humor honestly um and and this sort of like silver age attitude i would say um so uh, three other quick casting notes that we, we so on our last pony express podcast not for just podcast we were talking about the hundreds the rolling stones hundred greatest tv shows of all time list and um in addition to joe pantaliano there were three actors who I noticed were in shows that we talked about. Um, did you notice, and do you have any idea who, who I'm talking about? Uh, well, Paul Ben Victor yes. is on The Wire. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he plays Jose Caseda, not yeah. Joe Caseda or Casada, who was, of course, I think he may have been, was he editor in chief of Marvel at that he time? He was, yes. Yeah. He he also worked on a uh, Guardian Devil, the Guardian Devil storyline with Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. who is also in this movie. Yes, as Jack Kirby. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> a, a a mortician who posts on modern morgue, the modern morgue message boards or whatever he's doing. <laughs> uh, other actors that were also in TV shows, um, besides Joe Pantoliano being in The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. Yes, besides him. So there's Robert Eiler, 
um, oh, yes. who plays yes, right. AJ Soprano. He plays a bull like in, in the scenes with, about Matt Murdock's child. He plays a bully that uh, Matt Murdock ends up knocking out. Another scene that made me laugh just because like he knocks him out and the one kid just like runs away screaming and then also get I think he just runs into a wall if I remember correctly. Um, and that's the end of him. You, what you, oh, like forever ago, you said of uh, Dane DeHaan in mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man 2 that he has like the hardest working bangs right, in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Eiler has like the hardest working eyebrows. Yes. <laughs> and the thing that's funny about this scene is that you can totally imagine it, uh, cut it in with the Sopranos. <laughs> right. Yes, you absolutely could. <laughs> and that... And that AJ comes home, and then Tony's upset he got beaten up by a blind guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wish you, she was blind. You you absolutely could. Um, that, that's a good point. I mean, they were clearly, I think. I mean, obviously, I'm sure Robert Eller wanted more work, but like, it I feel like they're trying to coast off of. The, I mean, like the off chance somebody would be like, "Oh, you gotta see Daredevil." Like there are two people from The Sopranos in it. Um, the the other guy I was thinking was is Mark Margolis um oh right who he plays, plays like the fixer yeah the fixer who who convinces well fails to convince um battle and jack burdock matt's father to throw um a boxing match which then leads to his death at the hands of the kingpin mark Morgos, of course played hector salamanca in breaking bad and better call saul um so i that i thought was like watching the movie i think was honestly like worth watching just just for those appearances in a lot of ways um yeah, you're right. It, it was uh, quite a coincidence that that I definitely noticed while I was watching. I just <laughs> couldn't remember. Yeah. In the uh, expanse of time since then. Yeah. And um, I did want to say I think Mark Margolis is a really good actor, and I think I don't know if it's unfortunate, but it is like his most memorable role is him sitting in a wheelchair, right? Yeah. <laughs> dinging a bell, where pe- I think people might be surprised. It's like he can actually talk. Right. Yeah. Exactly um he has a voice and like he's even good like but he's really good too in the better call Saul episodes where he's actually like you know verbal and ambulatory like he i think does a really good job yeah the first time i saw mark margolis was when i watched uh oz mm-hmm. the hbo show oz set in a, a men's prison when uh, he plays like an italian mobster type and like um the character of uh simon adabisi Mm-hmm. um it's like this big black guy and it's like he's trying to get revenge on him mm-hmm. and so like at a bc what he does is he works in the hospital and he uses a syringe to like pull blood out of like an aids victim oh, jesus and then like he walks by mark margolis in the hallway mm-hmm. and then it's like he, he like sticks him with the needle mm-hmm. and i just remember i always remember this like mark margolis is like at a bc did you prick me? <laughs> and then, like, he dies of AIDS. Wow. It's so horrible. <laughs> Oz is... I've never watched Oz, but everything I hear about it just makes it sound like this absolute, like... Um, very brutal, I guess. But I guess that's the point. Um, well, that yeah, yeah, that's the idea. I mean, I, that would be... That's a totally different discussion when right, we talk yeah. about Oz. And it's like, it's breaking every rule in television. Yeah. To the point where it's like, if you described it, it just sounds like uh, something like Sallow, the 120 right, days yeah, of yeah. Sodom every week, where it's just like people doing horrible things to each other for an hour, and then the episode ends. Right. Anyway. Um, so that's the cast. And the other thing I want to say before we get into the soundtrack, because um, I know you really want to talk about that, is... Um, 
the way that Matt Murdock's powers are portrayed, you know, so obviously Daredevil, he has the, the, the so-called radar sense. He, he may be blind because of the childhood accident, um, but he has, you know, heightened sense of smell, touch, taste, hearing. Am I missing any of them? Scent, of course, sense of smell. Um, I think I already said that. Anyway, point is, they portray this as, um, you know, they, they have scenes where, where things are very loud and it distracts him and they kind of try to convey, you know, like the drip of an IV sounds like bombs falling or whatever. Um, and then you, that you see like how he sees things, I guess, which is this sort of, you know, not black and white, but like black and like, I would say almost like MacBook bl glow blue like um sort of cgi thing that i'm sure was maybe somewhat innovative for the time um did, did you have feelings about how how this was portrayed well i i felt like i noticed some <laughs> i like noticed in my head it's like oh this looks like and then i made a joke and then i looked on tv tropes and it made like the same joke about how jennifer garner looks like a navi <laughs> yeah because <laughs> it's like she looks like a blue mm -hmm. she looks like a character out of avatar she does the way yes. it's portrayed and obviously it's supposed to be like this big emotional has this emotional context of like i only you know i'm waiting for it to rain so i can see you like the raindrops reverberating off mm -hmm. but it just looks silly yeah um and i think like honestly like there was a similar effect in like the matrix reloaded and revolutions mm -hmm. obviously i think with the green instead of the blue that was like much better mm -hmm. but um yeah that could have used another pass and uh, I do think it's interesting to note that uh, bad special effects wasn't something that Taika Waititi invented for uh, <laughs> Thor: Love and Thunder. They they've been around. Yeah, I, the the effects are also bad in in many of the action scenes, which I guess we can talk about now too. Is we we talked about you know how it looked like wire foo a little bit in in the sort of like sparring scene. Um, there are also just like jumps that characters make in this movie that make zero sense. I would say. Like, that, that no one who doesn't have superpowers should be able to make. And then there are also scenes that, um, you know, it's clearly these very cheap kind of 3D models doing the fighting. It's almost like if you remember some of the Spider-Man 2 fight scenes against Dr. Octopus, like when he kidnaps, um, I believe, Mary Jane. Um, or was it Aunt May? He kidnaps both. No, Aunt May, when he first gets Aunt May. At the bank? Yes. Where Aunt the, May's at, trying to get the free toaster at, from yes, Joel McHale? Yes, at the bank. Um, which it doesn't look good in that movie, but it looks better than some of the fight scenes in this movie, I would say. Well, you actually, like, care more. Well, that, that too, yes. <laughs> it, it could, we'll go on. I was going to say, it's funny that you said action scenes, because I was like, I felt like there were, like, very little action scenes in this movie. Like, there's the scene with him meeting Elektra, but I don't know if I'd call that an action scene so much. Like, not in the sense that he's, like, beating up people. It's like mm -hmm. they're just sort of like... It's almost like a dance scene. Yeah. I mean, I guess you're kind of right. I mean, I feel like they're there, but they're very short. I mean, there's the fight he has at Josie's bar where he beats up um, Jose Caseda and, and that whole thing. Um, which isn't, like, the worst scene in the world, but, like, with a lot of scenes in this movie, it's just, like, it's hacked to death. Like, it is very jumpy and choppy. Like, the editing is just very, uh, very tangible, <laughs> very palpable. Um, and then, yeah, you have, I mean, sort of like, it, it, it culminates in this sort of, 
not very impressive scene um, where he fights Bullseye at the church, which is preceded by um, him fighting Elektra on a rooftop. And then Bullseye shows up and all that. Um, I could only imagine the director, mm -hmm. like we were talking about Jennifer Garner, like, because the problem with Elektra is that she's obviously not wearing a mask or anything. Yeah. And from what I can tell, it seems like Jennifer Garner can't do, like, action stunts or whatever so i can only imagine the director being like how am i gonna how am i gonna cut around this <laughs> oh god we can see that it's a stunt devil oh jesus right i remember reading somewhere though and i'm trying to find it but i remember reading somewhere that because there's a scene where she like runs up the wall and does like a flip apparently she did that in real life like that was a thing she actually just went out and did so that not on wires not on wires at least I don't think so. Um, and if so, that that's very impressive. But, um, yeah. Anyway. Let's uh, make an Electra movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, trying to think of, like, other action scenes. I mean, there's, like, the very brief one where he feels bad. That's another thing about this movie. It, it, like, this whole sort of, like, conflicted thing he goes through about, oh, do I want to beat people up and be the quote-unquote bad guy? and seek vengeance um and trying to reconcile it with his catholic faith again i just feel like there's there, there's no there was not a lot of there there like they, it's not a thing that it's, it's a good idea but it's nothing they ever actually explore in any depth yeah the catholicism isn't really touched on all that much yeah and i know that's kind of a big deal for um the character mm -hmm. but um i don't really buy it <laughs> in this movie like they don't he doesn't seem like a terribly catholic -y, you know like you that's at the forefront of his mind right yeah exactly um but i do want to say in our continuing the continuing trend of this movie reminding me of things that would just happen later like the mm -hmm. scene with bullseye and daredevil on the street where bullseye's on like a motorcycle right yes that reminded me of the dark knight yep so well that's the thing so okay that's a great segue into uh the soundtrack because that scene is uh quote-unquote scored it's set to some song i don't remember the name of it but some like hard rock look it up post grunge song it has its own wikipedia page the soundtrack i know it does um let's and actually one of these songs that's on it won a grammy um but it, it basically it's scored to this 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 sort of like what 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 some people call a butt rock song right this very like um you know the, the, the this hard like early 2000s hard rock kind of new metal adjacent song uh that that scores a, a lot of this movie and i was just and i was literally thinking i was like can you imagine if they were still doing this in 2008 when the dark knight came out and this like like uh they set like that the like motorcycle scene that so that whole like great chase scene i would argue probably like the best action scene in the dark knight like can you imagine if they if they set like if they use a similar song in 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 that movie and it would completely ruin it and and that i mean i wouldn't say that that the use of that music ruins daredevil because i mean there's a lot of problems with this movie but like it certainly doesn't help right well i think the soundtrack might be like the <laughs> It's both like the the nail in the coffin and like the saving grace, mm -hmm. <laughs> just because right, it's yeah. so it's memorable. 
But um, and it's funny you mentioned like, can you imagine if this was music was in the Dark Knight? Because that's like the, the memes going around right now mm-hmm. of like this movie. But if it was released in two thousand seven, right. yeah, yeah, where it it uses doesn't it use the song from this movie? No, it uses. It may have used it. So th- I mean, the big song from this movie is "Bring Me to Life" by Evanescence, featuring I believe the guy's name is Paul McCoy, the lead singer from Twelve Stone, which was like a legitimate hit. Um, and what was later featured on Evanescence's album that came out like two months after the, the, the Daredevil soundtrack came out um, and uh, won them a Grammy for, I think, I believe it was like best hard rock performance at the Grammys. Like I said, it was a big hit. Um, My Immortal is the other Evan- Evanescence song in this, which was also a hit. Um, but I believe the song used in most of the memes are, is uh, What I've Done by Linkin Park, which was used in Transformers. Mm. Um, but yeah, isn't the what's the wake me up song? That that's bring me to life. Oh okay, yeah, it, it should be called wake me up inside, but uh, no, it's called bring me to life, which is what she sings at the end of the chorus. Um, yeah, um, I hate the music <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> I I I I can't stand like this whole genre. Like I think the early to mid two thousands. Mm-hmm. in terms of like like music and like overall and like an aesthetic it was very like grungy like there was like a certain squareness to grunginess in like the 90s right that just became like totally disgusting mm-hmm. in the 2000s where it's like like gritty grunge mm-hmm. and it's just like i just like hate like the music like i hate music like this like in movies where it's just like hard rock because mm-hmm. it just it, it feels cheap for whatever reason yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, so literally, there was a genre called grunge in in the nineties, <laughs> and then a lot, this music a lot of people consider post grunge, which is grunge but worse. Um, I heard people refer to this as this album is like new metal. It, it it's. I would say it's definitely an intersection of post grunge and new metal, which are, they're very related. Um, new metal is like heavy metal with with hip hop influences, which I mean, the song that they used to introduce Kingpin, um, which is by Nerd. Um, the song is called Lap Dance, actually. Um, that's like a new metal song, even though they're really more of like a hip hop group. Um, and some, some other songs would also fit into like the new metal mode. But Evanescence is, I would say, is more of like a post grunge. You could really call them new metal if you wanted to, but I, I think of them more as post grunge. Um, yeah, it, it, it is bad. And it's, it's a, it is cheap, um, and it's 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 great that Robert Eiler in this movie because like this is like if you took like Robert Eiler's or not maybe his record collection but if you took AJ Soprano's record collection and used it to make a movie like that's what you would this is what would happen right and that's even it remind me too of like um, when Bull like certain things Bullseye did actually remind me a little bit of Jesse Pinkman and I was like oh well, like this is like what Jesse Pinkman is kind of making fun of right is somebody who's stuck in, like, 2003 almost and, like, is into that music and that kind of, like, image. Um, speaking yeah. of... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that I know there's some movies, like, I think, like, The Crow mm-hmm. also has, like, a soundtrack that's very much of its era. So it's, like, I can imagine someone who's, like, let's say 13 when this movie comes out. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, you know how it's, like, they have the let's sync up Dark Side of the Moon with wizard of oz yeah that's a thing right and also like the wall 
mm-hmm. as, like as it exists so like it's like this movie already took the idea of like let's sync up like an awesome superhero movie with like awesome music right that i'm assuming the people are already fans of so i can assume or i can see how this movie has like a following with like certain people because it's already like you know this if people really like the soundtrack then they really like it. and if they really like daredevil then it's like it has this awesome soundtrack but for me it's incredibly off-putting and like it doesn't fit like i would rather have like uh, spider-man 2002 as that awesome danny elfman score mm-hmm. to me this just it feels i don't know if lazy is the right word but it's just like it, it doesn't fit and it like takes takes me out of the movie well it feels like a marketing exercise right it 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 it, because you were supposed to see this movie and be like oh i love those (laughs) these songs in that movie i want to buy the soundtrack now right which is the thing that happened a lot in the 90s and early 2000s doesn't happen really anymore unless your movie's a musical right um and it, it just felt like it was trying to um both sell and conform to like a certain just like uh strain of the culture at that time this like i said like very post grunge new metal just sort of like um, Woodstock 99 type mentality that, that that I was trying to appeal to. And the funny thing is you mentioned Spider-Man, uh, to the, the 2002 Spider-Man. It's like, think about it, Spider-Man, that movie actually has like a very similar soundtrack, right? There was a, a soundtrack called Music From and Inspired by Spider-Man that has music. It's, it's not quite as heavy as um, Daredevil. Like there's actually songs from The Strokes and The Hives. And Pete Yorn, which which are very different from like Evanescence and Twelve Stone and all that, um, but it's where uh, Hero by Chad Kroger, who was leading over Nickelback, which is of course scores the, the 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 end credits of Spider Man. But you're right. But the the good thing about Spider Man is that somebody uh, said, "Hey, it won't make sense to have this music like in the movie. Let's have this amazing score instead," and and it works, right? Um, you, you never really get a sense that the music is. Um, it enhances that movie as opposed to Daredevil where, again, does it distract it? Well, it's not a very good movie anyway, but it, it clearly doesn't help. Um, and it's just used in very... Like, it's one thing if it scores an action movie. It's another thing when they're like using the song like at Electra's father's funeral. I think it just really sticks out like a sore thumb. Reminded me of uh, Watchmen. <laughs> yes. movie that yeah. would come later. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is true um but instead of like the classics of the 60s and 70s it is just like the refuse of 2003 basically um i mentioned the band nerd do you know do you know the most famous member of the band nerd uh uh is it someone and i never i don't know pharrell williams oh really yeah 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 Yeah. be happy yeah he um and of course uh of the despicable me Yes, yeah. You say, like, they don't do this anymore, but, you know, Pharrell That's did true. Despicable Me 10 years ago. They do. They do. I guess they don't do with superhero movies anymore as well. Well, I mean, Cap- well, I was going to say Captain Marvel had that one song, right? Like, the mm-hmm. girl power song when she's in space fighting at the end. But that wasn't, like, a recent song. No. Well, that's the thing, too, right? It's like, to the extent that they do, I mean, I guess you could say um, Guardians of the Galaxy, they kind of do it, right? Um but what's interesting is that they're not current songs, right? They're all old songs. Um, and I think that there's just like a broader trend in the culture of, of, of like music nostalgia, right? I mean, like you look at like Stranger Things and the success running up that hill has had and, you know, 30 years after its release. 
um there's just like something weird going on where people really want to hear older music in their tv shows and movies instead of new music um but yeah, so they, they do do it. It's just, it's a, they don't do it like they did, I guess, right? Is there any nostalgia for music, like, post-2000? There, no, there is. It's just not as, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just not as widespread yet. As, as we get older, you will notice it more. Um, but there's been, like, a little bit of a critical reassessment of new metal, which, again, is kind of this era of music, um... There has definitely been, I mean, there was a book that came out called Meet Me in the Bathroom that was about kind of like uh, the New York scene in the 2000s that was pretty, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't, say in, I wouldn't say influential per se, but it was very popular and kind of, there are lots of bands that are, I mean, like the Strokes fingerprints are, are, are in every kind of everything. Um, it's definitely there and, and kind of like bubbling. I mean, and also like the pop punk and emo stuff, the nostalgia for that is huge. Um which is funny because I never really liked that music that much. But will there be a nostalgic reappraisal of Slipknot? I I would argue it's it's happening right now. Honestly, like oh geez. Um, and uh, in in the realm of new metal, Slipknot are, are one of the better bands. I would say they're scary. They are. Um. So yeah, that's uh, that's the soundtrack. I mean, again, fascinating. Just like it's just so funny too because like the song they introduce bullseye to is called top of the morning to you and it's by house of pain who most people will know from their song jump around um but who are also like an irish american themed rap group and like i think literally the opening lines of that song are i'm irish but i'm not a leprechaun <laughs> and then it just kind of goes from there all right um let's see what what else we we gotta kind of touch on here um what did you think? I mean, so we talked a lot about the production design in Superman Returns. What did you think of sort of the way this movie, I guess, looked, both just kind of production design, cinematography, and then also um, the way these characters looked and, and, and their costuming? Uh, so I would describe it as, like, gritty mm-hmm. without being especially dark. Yeah. Like, it feels very... Like, people accuse Tim Burton of being, like, hot topic right yeah this movie is a lot feels very like hot topic Mm -hmm. spencer's gifts like um i don't know i wouldn't say any of it is really particularly memorable or stands out like i don't think the daredevil costume is like a world beater in terms of bringing that costume to the screen Mm -hmm. i don't really care for how bullseye looks it's very much of like a let's update this for the modern day. This is what's going to, this, this iteration is what's going to catch on and be around forever when it really, it really doesn't. Um, so I don't know. I, I didn't really have any strong opinions that this movie is definitely of its time though. And there's a certain quaintness to that, that, um, Superman returns doesn't really have. Cause a lot of that is like a big throwback. Yeah, I I would agree. I, I kind of appreciate it on some level how Daredevil suit, you know, it, it's like tangible, right? It doesn't feel like, you know, them photoshopping Chris Hemsworth into like Thor's armor. Like there was something that felt um, kind of, you know, I was like, oh, I, I feel like I know how this feels, right? And the same thing with his Billy Clubs too, right? It felt like you could do like an interesting kind of like 
behind the scenes featurette on or even like exhibit on, on the costumes in this movie um i mean electra's costume doesn't look anything like the electric costume in the comics which is not like necessarily a more practical costume than the one that jennifer garner wears um and yeah bullseye is i think is just like a complete and absolute mess i mean he looks ridiculous i don't, I don't think there's a whole lot else to say there he looks like walter white he does <laughs> that's a very good point he does um, they should have Brian Cranston play Bullseye. They should have. Um, it's not like he would have had to do a whole lot more than Colin Farrell does. Um, yeah, I can do that on the break between Malcolm in the Middle seasons. <laughs> yeah. Been so, looking to play someone darker. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Lewis. How do you kill a man without fear? <laughs> you, you, uh, you destroy hope. I believe they say you put the fear in him. Oh, yeah. Well, that in the movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but here's the thing. Shouldn't a man without fear be easier to kill? <laughs> like. Yeah, no, I mean, I the movie is just trying to get the line in there. Like, the, the slogan. Like, just make him pet a cobra or something. He'll die. Like. <laughs> um, it's just like so many lines they try to make hit like that one. Um, the one where he has Jose Quesada like on the tracks and the light comes like the subway comes is like that light you're seeing it's not heaven it's the sea train yeah <laughs> and also of course when he throws bullseye out a window and bullseye lands on Ben Yurik's car and he goes bullseye <laughs> um I got it yeah which just leads me again to this whole thing of like daredevil being like i don't want to be the bad guy well you kill two people <laughs> like you, <laughs> you maybe there's like a little bit of like a um plausible not plausible deniability but he'd be just like oh i you know let the train hit ben yurik i didn't or not ben yurik excuse me jose casada I, I didn't actively kill him but you throw bullseye out of a window <laughs> like you can't tell me you don't know what you're doing there um yeah um i um i don't know i mean i i liked the corniness and quaintness of it Mm -hmm. like it's like what we talked about last week with superman returns there's like a sincerity to it right there's not like a it's like there's not like a group of kids being like what's your name sir i'm daredevil and then they all burst out laughing like no really what's your name yeah Yeah. like this movie is like 100 percent sincere and like it's rare for the time where this is like a complete auteur project mm-hmm. where you have Mark Steven Johnson fresh off the uh, grumpy old men duology. Mm-hmm. He's like, I want to take on Marvel's Daredevil. So um, I don't know. I appreciate it. I, re- I, uh, I was like into this movie for like the first 10 minutes or so. Like the part where it was like they did his origin mm-hmm. and then they just boom like boom he's daredevil i appreciated like the briskness right of that, yeah where they just get right down to it but i think it might have ultimately harmed the movie because mm-hmm. they had like nowhere to go <laughs> exactly yeah. they didn't do anything with the remaining 90 percent of the movie <laughs> no they didn't it, i feel like um i was gonna say i feel like the first act lasted an hour but it, in some ways this is just one big first act like you said it feels like a pilot um like yeah. I literally pushed pause on my remote and I saw that we, I was like an hour in. I'm like, so what has happened? <laughs> Where's the story? Yeah. 
Like, it's not that hard. Like, when you make, like, an action movie, something like this, it's, like, just have a bad guy do evil things. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, like, a trend I buck against, like, nowadays. Like, I complained about this with uh, Mm Shang-Chi. But it's, like, have a bad guy and have your bad guy be evil. Right. (laughs) Or, like, do things that, like, you know, be an antagonist. It's, like, here, like, the Kingpin is, like, a phantom menace almost. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when I reference that, I'm referencing the classic... Uh, great film star wars episode one the phantom menace which you know it's not good to have like a big tentpole action movie with like no clear antagonist have Mm -hmm. your antagonist in the forefront doing evil things there's no reason to have bullseye across the atlantic just so we can have a scene of him there and then a scene of him on a plane you're just wasting time just have him already be in new york and have the kingpin ask him to do something evil have him kill off Jose Casada, and then Daredevil's like, oh, I gotta figure out what's going on here. Who's behind this? Don't just have nothing happen in the movie. Yeah. Ha- Go on. It's it's the it's the Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis's rule. It's like your action movie is only as good as your baddest guy. Mm-hmm. Like Die Hard. Hans Gruber, great villain. Clear motivation. It's clear what's going on. You know, John McClane has to stop him. Here, it's like, I don't understand why the Kingpin is doing anything. It's like, I, I don't care. I uh, I agree with you. Um, yeah, there there's the, the, there's not much of a plot. The motivations really don't make sense to the extent that there are motivations at all. Um, and it's like, like yeah, there's, there's not enough like, uh, like mystery almost, right? Like Daredevil should have to find out who Bullseye is. Bullseye should have to find out who Daredevil is. Um, but it's just kind of taken for granted the Kingpin exists, even though nobody knows who he is. Like it's implied that Daredevil still thinks that Nick Nachios might be the Kingpin when he fights Bullseye, and then Bullseye reveals that it's actually the Kingpin, or actually Wilson Fisk, and then he goes and finds him, and it's 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 a whole thing. Um, just real, real messy all around. Um, That's why I was saying before about like the. Um dark side of the moon and like the wall like mm-hmm. i could see someone just enjoying this more for like the soundtrack and the visuals yeah if they're particularly enamored with those more so than any kind of engaging story exactly yeah i i, I would say so it's it's not like it's not awful background viewing i guess right <laughs> like it's um it's something it's, to have on and it's something like i could even see like if you're like real if like you're hanging out with a bunch of people and you're like really bored and like kind of drunk, like putting this movie on, right? Yeah, it's it's like the epitome of a watchable movie. Yeah. This is like a, a bread, bread sandwich. It's like, there's not really a whole lot of texture or flavor to it, but uh, it's definitely consumable. I, I would agree. Um, so yeah, I think that pretty much does i think we've said all we can really say about this movie is there anything you think you think we're leaving out um just the fact that apparently the version of the movie we watched is no longer considered canonical mm-hmm. by the true fans so we both watched this movie on hbo max which only hosts the theatrical cut of this movie apparently i looked up afterwards there's a director's cut which adds like a, a half hour so again this movie sort of presages the um, Snyder cut mm-hmm. <laughs> of yes. um, J- 
Justice League and the Ultimate Edition of Batman v Superman in the sense of like, hey, why don't release a version of the movie after we've released it? When it doesn't matter anymore. But apparently, uh, yeah, so this longer version actually has been warmly received. And uh, by all accounts, people don't acknowledge the theatrical edition is existing anymore. Apparently when Fox released this movie on Blu-ray in 2008, it was just the director's cut. There was no sign of the theatrical cut. So at some point, I guess you and I should watch the director's cut just so we can say that we've enjoyed the the better version of this movie because i am really fascinated because this movie has like so little going on so i'm interested to see um how it improves yeah as we were talking about before we recorded uh that director's cut has coolio the recently departed coolio uh in a role as, as a drug dealer so yeah it, it definitely does interest me um it, it's almost like uh yeah, no, I think that, that is... We should definitely watch it at some point. That idea is interesting to me. And Snyder Cut, and also in a way, the sort of, like, uh, the fabled Ayer Cut as well, right? Like David Ayer's cut of, uh, of, of the original Suicide Squad movie. Which, now that I think about, like, Suicide Squad might be the superhero movie that reminds me of Daredevil the most, right? It also has constant musical cues, and it also is trying to do this sort of, like, edgy and gritty thing as well. Anyway um also what high praise yeah <laughs> uh also mark stephen johnson the director and writer of this movie do you know what other superhero movie he directed and wrote boom ghost rider yo marvel <laughs> knights in the house he sure did um another movie i'm sure we will watch a movie i saw twice in theaters wow i've yes. also i've also seen ghost rider yeah <laughs> um all right I think that's uh like i said i think that's kind of it um thanks so much for listening you can find this podcast anywhere you can find your podcasts please like rate and subscribe email us at contactpostgrad.com tell us what you think about this movie and what movie we should do next um uh you can find me on twitter at emlevito and on letterbox at ameramike you can find me on twitter and uh letterboxd as well um i'm not going to give you my username but uh, you can definitely try and track me down. You can just look at who I follow and you'll probably find him. Um, please check out thepostwriter.com where we have all written pieces and recorded other podcasts as well. Um, you can find all kinds of great stuff there. And uh, until next time, I'm about to hop on the sea train. I hope I don't hit anybody on the way there. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoying this podcast and wondering where you can find more intelligent and insightful content just like it? Just head over to thepostwriter.com, where you can find the latest opinion and analysis on politics, music, film, television, and a litany of other topics. In addition to our articles and podcasts, you can also check out our visual features, like our Floor Fight Bracket, our 2024 Republican nomination draft, and in presidential election and midterm election years, a map with all of our analysis. And if you like what you read, you can subscribe to our newsletter and, if you're feeling generous, donate to the site so we can keep churning out the content you know and love. If you love the site so much that you want to write for it, drop us a line at contact at thepostwriter.com. We're always looking for new contributors and willing to read any pitch you may have. That's the great thing about The Postwriter. It's not just about us. It's also about you. So head over to thepostwriter.com and see if there's anything that piques your interest. We bet there is.